All right, we're going to get started. Good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. As I said uh, last week at the beginning, God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, this morning in the prayer meeting, we're, we're praying this again, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as spiritual believers, as Christians, the Bible says that we have access to God. We have access to his presence. And so, so we can be refreshed by God's presence. We can interact with God. He is seated in heavenly places. And that's a great place for us to start. But you know what? It doesn't end there. Because he said, pray this, pray my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we're praying for is that all of the resources and all of the atmosphere and all of the power and all of the life that is in God, that is it is in heaven, that that would come to the earth. And so we're not just satisfied with having a spiritual interaction with God. We want to see his kingdom come. We're not done until his kingdom comes. We're not done until our neighbors start to get saved. We're not done until people start to get physically healed from disease. We're not done until God removes barrenness from our midst and destroys cancer. We're not done until we see the resurrection from the dead. We're not done simply because we know that he is and that these things are available. We are done when his kingdom comes on earth as it is to the measure, to the degree that it is in heaven. Amen? So when we're worshiping, we're worshiping with that outcome in mind. God, come. Let's worship him. Well, as we're beginning to worship, we're trying to satisfy a need in God's heart where God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. But, you know, there's a great prophetic truth, and I love this. Uh, Say to those who are weary-hearted, do not be afraid. You know, there's something in that that's combating an atmosphere. You know, there's an atmosphere. When demonic powers and principalities come over nations, they bring an atmosphere. You know, we talk about the economy sliding back or this happening or nations going to war one and against another. It begins with a paranoia, a fear, an attitude that people do or do not align themselves with. So part of what we want to do and part of our role in this nation is to not align with the atmosphere of fear and paranoia and accusation. We are, we are not aligning with the fear that says destruction is just around the corner. That's what we do. Do you hear me? That's what we do as the kingdom of God. We say, do not fear. So can we, do, can we not fear this morning? And can we enter that place where we say to, in the atmosphere, do not fear? Let's see God reveal his ability. And let's tap into that this morning, that he is able to make a way where there is no way. You know, there's something open in the spirit here for us today. I was reading this morning about David and Goliath. And when David rose up before he confronted Goliath, the atmosphere of fear was paralyzing over the nation. I mean, the whole nation was, they were paralyzed. They, they were afraid. This, this champion named Goliath was withstanding 40 days, 40 days he stood and he railed at the God of Israel, railed at them. And these, these were not, you know, inexperienced warriors. I mean, the, even the brothers of David, they were valiant men, but they were paralyzed by fear. But it took a little shepherd boy who just came and he, he just 
He came and he was seemed to be immune to that atmosphere. It didn't affect him. How can you do that? Well, let me tell you, David is what we're meant to be today. We are meant to be a voice of hope. We are meant to be something that brings another atmosphere that says, no, I will not fear. I will not become negative or paranoid. I will not fall into that rut. I'm not going to begin to murmur and complain about my God. I'm not going to wonder whether God's going to come through or not. I'm not going to question his desire. I'm not going to question his goodness. I'm not going to say anything negative about the situation. Can we do that right now? He will come and save. He will come and save. This was what David said. No, he will come and save. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. Speak this with your mouth. He will come and save. He will come and save Alberta. He will come and save Parkland County. He will come and save Spruce Grove. He will come and save Canada. Now, I feel like there's some people who are struggling even to sing that because there's a discouragement on you. And you think, yeah, but he hasn't answered prayer. And let me tell you this, he has, but your timeline is wrong. The timeline that you have set to measure the goodness of God is your timeline. And he is saying, listen, my timeline is very different. And there are moments when I think about it in the life of David when the timeline, God's response through him was instantaneous. He defeated the lion. And there's a crisis, there's a win. God answers. God comes through. There's a crisis, there's a win. And you've come out of that place in your life where you have measured crisis and win in that short time span. But then there's a God brings you into another dispensation where, no, now the next layer of bringing God into the scene is going to take, it's a 50-day window, 40 days of railing, 40 days of fear, 40 days of discouragement, and then an answer. And then uh, God says to David, well done. You brought my power to bear at the end of this larger sphere. Now, what can you do over the sphere of five years? And so... Suddenly, a a trial entered David's life where he had to believe in the faithfulness of God while he ran and while he hid in caves for years, while his friends sought his life. And during that time, I'm sure there are many times he's saying, where are you, God? Because you answered here in that short time. You answered here in that short time. You answered here in the space of two months. Now it's been years and you haven't answered. God is saying, I'm bringing your faith into another dimension. If you want to see the kingdom of God come in this other dimension, the trial is going to enter into a different time phase. Don't judge my faithfulness by the last season that you're in. Stand, 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 stand and believe. Stand and believe. Declare my faithfulness. Declare my goodness. Believe. 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 Because you're in a different season. You know, we tend to interpret the kingdom of God in the context of what are the outcomes for me. You know, if the Old Testament saints had done that, they wouldn't have done anything. But because it says that, yeah, there were, there were, there were those who, del- who were delivered. There was the Daniel who was delivered from the lion's den, and there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who, uh, you know, were plucked out of the fire. But it says in Hebrews, it says, others were sawn in two. 
Others did not accept deliverance. But everybody who stood was part of turning the tide. And that's what this is about. Our stand is about turning a tide. We are standing for a current that's going counterintuitive to a culture that's going down. And if we are going to represent the kingdom of God, we have to do that here, like others did it before us. And I was thinking of a photo this morning, and there's this massive crowd in Hitler's Nazi Germany, and Hitler's making a, a speech of some, and everybody's giving him the high, you know, the high salute. But there's one guy, you've probably seen it, one guy standing there, one guy, thousands of others, one guy with his arms folded, not bowing. That's the kingdom of God right there. And one shall put a thousand and two shall put ten thousand. That the effect of a people within a culture are going to have that kind of effect. And we might, you know, that guy might have died in a prison. But his stand, only heaven will know what it contributed. Only heaven will know. So we're deciding today not what is functionally best for me, but what does heaven require from me today? What is my stand? Because whether it turns around now, a month from now, six months from now, three years from now, or in eternity, it's going to turn around. And I believe God is looking for a generation of tide turners. We're going to turn the tide. And a few weeks ago in prayer, we were here and I suddenly saw, you know what? You know, the younger generation were doing this thing where they're eating Tide Pods. I felt like that was a prophetic symbol, that there's a, a generation that's meant to turn the tide and not just go in the tide of stupidity and start eating Tide Pods, but turn the tide. We're going to go against, you know, what's captivating that younger generation. We're going to make a stand. That's the kingdom of God in our midst. So right now, God is training us. But it begins with, I believe God's good. It begins with believing. I believe God's good. I believe God answers prayer. I believe change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. I believe that. That's what enabled people in France to stand against the Nazi Germany. That's what enabled people in Germany to believe. That's what enabled uh, Winston Churchill to stand against the tide of darkness that's going to swallow up the whole world. Those are natural examples. Father, we choose today to stand. We say, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. So be encouraged today because I believe God is uh, whispering into your ear, stand, be faithful, believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, thank you that your kingdom will fill the earth. No not one piece of ground will not be occupied by your kingdom. Lord, not one nation, not one person will fail to bow their knee or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. <laughs> so, Lord, fill this room today with that sense of impending inevitability, the sureness, the confidence, God, that... This is going to happen. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week uh, I talked about, anybody remember? Parable of the sower. And I said I might even talk about that again. Well, I got news for you. I'm not. 
Well, uh, sort of. There is one ground last week in the parable of the sower. I talked about the ground uh, that where the seed fell, but the seeds were choked by weeds, the, the cares and the concerns of this world, which is really everything that's natural in its scope. Everything that's natural. So, you know, and people tend to do things why? because of fear. Not only because of the hope of promise that if I do this, I'll get more money, I'll be safe, etc., etc. I'll pursue fame, pursue money, pursue this. But for fear, I align myself a particular way. So today we want to talk about something somewhat related to that. Because what God is trying to do is build up people who can stand against the tide, who can establish another tide. And he's saying to us, do you want to be one of those kinds of people? Do you want to be, this is the question he's asking us, do you want to bring my kingdom to the earth? Now, this morning in prayer, I touched on this idea that it's not enough for us to be spiritually minded. It's not enough for us to be thinking, oh, one day I'm going to heaven. One day, you know, God is going to have all the glory because God is saying, listen, I'm going to bring my kingdom. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not just looking for people who are waiting for the kingdom to come, who believe that inevitably there's going to be something, but I'm looking for those people who strategically can align themselves with my plan so that the kingdom comes around them beginning in your life. So it starts with you as an individual. How is God bringing the kingdom of God in your life right now? It sort of ties in with that picture I was giving you about David, how David, you know, he realized the promises of God on increasingly higher and higher levels. And so you might be a person here today who has experienced God's deliverance. You've experienced the anointing, the presence of God, where you you slew, like David, you know, a lion and a bear. You know, the, 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 the lion and the bear were coming in to eat the sheep. David came in. The Spirit of God fell on him. He felt the anointing. He touched, uh, you know, it touched something in him. So he rose and he slew the bear and the lion, which enabled him to stand on the next field of battle, which is of higher consequence. The next field of battle that God has called you to stand in is of higher consequence. It's no longer, and, I'm, and I, this is really for us today as a body, it's no longer about whether the promises of God for deliverance and hope for your individual life are true. You already know that to be true. But the next level is now, can you stand for something on the level of a corporate expression of the body of Christ? David is now at this stage of his life, he's called to stand for something that's going to affect the whole nation. The kingdom of God is not just coming so that I know that God supplies my need for tomorrow and I'm not fearing about you know, whether I'm going to starve to death or I'm going to be killed next week. But now, now there is an actual, real, literal threat and can I be a part of bringing in the kingdom of God that changes the tide for the whole nation? So it's a different level of, of testing. It's a different t- level of, of trial. And so a lot of us are in that place where we have seen the provision of God for personal uh, crisis, you know. I thought I was going to, you know, die of cancer or I, I was lacking money and lo and behold, God came through. God saved me. Well, that's great. That's, that's the first level of prayer, faith, appropriating God's supply, the resources of heaven for me. But the next level is a little more significant. A lot of it has to do with where are we as a church today? Well, we know the scripture. It's in Ephesians 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Let's say that again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
Well, that's a great scripture. If only we'd believe it. What does that mean? Uh, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time breaking this down, but let me, let me break it down a little. Whoever you think is standing between you and the kingdom of God is not standing between you and the kingdom of God. Whoever you think is standing between you and happiness is not standing between you and happiness. Whoever's standing, whatever circumstances, whatever people, whatever, uh, whatever group of people are seeming to be the barrier to your future hope and, and the promises of your life, it's not true. You don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. We believe that. I remember believing that, you know, because it was there in the Bible. I read it, and it was said to be true. And then God began to work it out in my life, asking me the question, do you really, really believe this? Are you going to be able to stand? So circumstances begin, I begin to pursue the will of God in my life, and then, and then it seemed like people were not aligning with God's destiny in my life. They were resisting that. They were resisting me. They were, you know, things were happening. This is way back as a uh, as a teacher at uh, Temple Bible College over here, and, you know, I started to resent them. I started to resent people. I started to thought, you know, and there was another time when people that I thought God was going to use to bring financial supply for our ministry, they weren't. And I thought, I thought, well, they should. They said they loved me. But then I, I worked it through. I thought, oh, they probably don't have enough money. So I released them from that expectation. Then we went to a conference one day, and they were throwing in 50s and 100s Every time that bucket came around and I was suddenly the resentment was there again. And then, of course, this truth, this uncomfortable truth, inconvenient truth is hanging in the background saying, I thought you not wrestling with flesh and blood. I thought people were not really the issue. So bring the kingdom. And this is what God is saying. Never mind about what you think is happening. Just bring the kingdom. Can you bring it? Can you bring something that turns the tide? If indeed the tide needs to be turned. You do it. That's what God is saying. Can you do this? Can you believe? See, everybody else was paralyzed, but David stepped forward because he believes. I, I believe that this is not God's intent, and I believe I can be the one to stand up there and turn this. So in the context of my life, God is saying, you say you believe this, but evidently you don't because your resentment is going towards people you believe are responsible for your life not becoming what you think it ought to be. <sighs> so let me talk about this. And I, here's, the, here's what I want to talk about today. I've given it a title. I was reading this last week. I was meditating all week on David and Saul, and I was reading in particular some things around Saul's mindset. And I've you know, my, I've got the book that I wrote on David and, and a lot of insights about Saul, but I saw something else this week that just really stood out to me. And I'd seen it before, but it's about this. It says, uh, it's a, and this is what I'm calling it, the anatomy of a stronghold. The anatomy of a stronghold. So, Father, I pray today, God, that you would set your sights, God, on those places in us where the enemy is trying to build a stronghold. God, we are here posturing ourselves sincerely to stand for your kingdom, God. But I, I pray, Lord, that, uh, that you would identify those things within us, God, that you're trying to eradicate from our life, the things you're trying to remove from our life that would cause us to side with the accuser, with our enemy. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would illuminate and give us freedom today. Now, we're going to look at the life of Saul. And we're going to see a progression of something in his life. And I want to tell you this straight up, that I've seen that progression 
again and again and again and again and again in the lives of people. And the reason I reference this idea of my own life is that the discipleship that God has done, what God has done when he's looked at me and said, I want you to bring the kingdom of God. And I thought, oh, yeah, all right, I'm going to be your guy. And he said, well, yeah, it's not that easy. I've got to get you so that you're siding with me. Oh, I'm with you. Except I didn't realize that there are parts of me that weren't. There's parts of me that were disposed to anger. There are parts of me that were disposed to blaming others. There's parts of me that were disposed to jealousy. There are parts of me that were disposed to competition. And God basically over the long run has been saying, that stuff right there, that stuff is the material that Satan has to work with. And if you want to bring the kingdom of God on the level that you know that you're called to bring, I've got to eradicate that stuff from your life. Because what happens is I'm going to move you into increasingly higher tiers of influence, and those increasingly higher tiers of influence will require less and less material for the enemy to work with because you're working against higher principalities and powers who require less divergence to manipulate you. So we want to be effective. Eh? Those, those are you the intercessors. I mean, those are you the spiritual warriors. You know, you, 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 you got a spiritual warfare, spiritual, you know, sermon that says, hey, you know, go to the high places, storm the gates of hell, you know, change the world. It's like, yeah, well, that's great. I love that enthusiasm. But it has to be made real through the gradual progression and obedience that, that is becomes the manifestation of a faith. So, so you got Saul here. Saul is, of course, called, and there's a lot of things we could talk about. There's almost foreshadowing of the problems he's going to have. Okay, there's foreshadowing. You know, he was insecure. All right, big. That's a big deal right there. Insecurity in you, and I don't want to touch it. Is is a part of that ground? Now, let me back up for a second and illustrate this in the way. I want you to think about this: the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are like two different parts of the earth. And I'm using this. It's, it's, hopefully it works for you. But how many of you know that there are certain things that don't grow in northern Alberta that grow in California? What's responsible for that? Weather. Yeah. So terrain and weather, you know, those two things, sandy soil, moist soil, you know, lots of topsoil. These, the different conditions of the ground and the atmosphere make certain things possible. So you're going to have a hard time growing palm trees in northern Alberta. They're going to die because the weather, the atmosphere will not allow them to flourish. This is important for us to understand because God is all about us changing atmospheres. I mean, the greatest, at the end of the day, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea is an atmosphere that will discourage the proliferation of certain kinds of seed. You know, that it makes it less likely. This kind of weather makes it less likely for this kind of seed to, to, to blossom and, and prevail, right? But if you get the right conditions and you have the right kind of seed, boom, those are convergence and suddenly those things come forward. So that's the picture we're talking about. So God is saying, listen, I want you to manifest the kingdom, this kingdom, not this one. Here's the problem. We have soil in our lives that's more like this than like this. And we have seeds in our life that are more like this than like this. And now we're not victimized by that because God has actually given us the beautiful power of choice. 
He's made you autonomous. He's made you able to say no. So we see Saul in this place. He's called by God. It's a great thing. But he has this soil in his life, this insecurity. And we see it begin to, sh- to, to shift. And the first stage, of course, is blatant disobedience. He actually, he's manipulated by the people, by his insecurity. And he ends up doing something so that Samuel says, you know, why did you do this? God would have established the kingdom forever. And now... It's not going to happen. First bit of bad news. But right after that, here's what starts to happen. An evil spirit begins to visit him. An evil spirit. So what is, what is Saul's posture? Well, he's like, he's, he's disturbed by this spirit. So I'll turn to 1 Samuel 16. It says in verse 14, But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, that whole issue is a little, a little tough for some of us, and I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to satisfy all of your second-guessing about it, but I can't. But let me just say this. Uh, we don't live in a vacuum. We don't live in a vacuum. When there are laws in place, those laws act in a kind of an impersonal manner, but they can be attributed still to the one who established the law. So if, if God established the law of gravity, and that law is, is from him, then whenever I do that, it, it happens. It almost seems automatic, and it is automatic. But you could really say every time that that happens that the, the, the one who birthed that law, who put it into place, is responsible for that. Okay? So there's things that happen that are attributed to the Lord in the sense that God did that, but it's really a part of an outcome of a series of laws that he's enacted. So here, it wasn't that God said... Okay, from this time forward, Saul, you will be assaulted by a spirit of which you won't be able to escape. Now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul because Saul made a decision to depart from the Spirit of the Lord. But when, when the Spirit of the Lord backs off because the favor of God isn't there, then it opens the door for another spirit to come in. But that's, that, that can be handled. So what happened? They say, well, let's, let's get an anointed minstrel. Let's get somebody. Let's get some worship music happening. And so they find David, of course, and David comes, and in verse 23, it says, uh, verse 22, it says, then Saul sent for Jesse, saying, please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the Spirit of God was, uh, was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now, I want you to think about second for a second. I, how many of you have have seen, um, this is a hard, kind of a hard illustration, but do you remember that scene in the Lord of the Rings? How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Anyway, there's an analogy there. It's a great sort of dramatic depiction of this, where this guy takes this ring that he shouldn't be carrying, and all of a sudden this warfare starts to come against him, and he begins to think thoughts. The closer he comes to that ring, the more he thinks thoughts about stealing the ring and running away with it. When he's at a distance from that ring, he's not bothered. But the closer he gets to it, the more the warfare around the ring starts to affect him. This is the way higher things in the kingdom of God are. There's more warfare around higher things. So God is saying, oh, you want to be useful in the kingdom of God? You want to be influential? You want to bring my kingdom? Okay, I'm going to start bringing you into higher things And what happens, though, is you're going to be subject to higher levels of warfare. 
here's the question. Can you resist that atmosphere and can you stand in the right atmosphere? Can you keep your mind? And if you go back to the scene in that movie, the guy loses his mind. And afterwards, he regrets it. He's like, he's like I can't believe, I, you know, I, I'm, and he was sorrowful. He's weeping. He's, he feels like a, 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 you know, a, a, a traitor, which he was. But he, he redeems himself in the end by dying for the cause. But, you know, <laughs> but he, he realizes, I was so weak. I, that atmosphere came, and I became subject to it. I snapped to the grid of that mindset. I wasn't able to escape the, the gravity of that, that, that mindset. It sucked me in and I obeyed it. So this is what God is saying. Listen, I'm bringing you as a church into levels of warfare, but there's going to be an, uh, there's going to be an assault that comes with an atmosphere and a way of thinking. Can you resist it? Can you resist it? Can you resist the fear? Can you resist the paranoia? Can you resist the evil speaking? Can you do it? I don't care that you want to. I don't care that when there's no warfare, you're saying, God, I want everything you have. That is immaterial if when the moment of testing comes and you line up with the enemy. So basically, this atmosphere is coming. It's coming on Saul. Saul doesn't want it. He realizes it's bad. But there's something inside of him that's kind of agreeing with it because it's coming with, oh, Saul, this is so unfair. You have been so faithful. And yeah, maybe you didn't kill all of the, the, the men and the women and the children, but you did most of it. Why didn't God say, well done? You know, no, but this prophet came and said, yeah, just because you did this much, but not this much, then suddenly everything you're doing is bad and you're losing the kingdom. That is so, I don't know if you ask me, it's kind of unfair. That's a voice. The atmosphere causes you to, yeah, that isn't fair. This is, I mostly did what God said. You know, did God say, well done for that part that I did? No, no, just focused on what I didn't do. What's going on here? There's an alignment happening. Are you agreeing with that spirit, that atmosphere? So he's like, "Ah, I'm not sure this is a good thing to come under. Bring me a minstrel. So the minstrel comes, David comes, and he brings the other atmosphere. And Saul's like, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I want. So he aligns with that. But the musician goes away. Suddenly we're not in Sunday, you know, we're not worshiping anymore. There's not a high glory moment. And it's like, that dark shadow comes again. Oh, Saul, here's your friend. Just a little familiar spirit. Talking about everybody done you wrong. But I care for you. God doesn't really want you to prosper. He starts to be tormented again. So he calls for the minstrel and he's delivered. He calls for the minstrel and he's delivered. But here's the problem. He keeps choosing to align with that thing. That whatever that voice is saying is starting to, it's a, he's finding a place of agreement within Saul. And Saul's not killing it. He's not killing it. This is the first test. I can tell you I've been there many, many times. But you know what saved me? I do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I cannot make people responsible. I'm in an equation with me and God. And God is using these things to test me. To see, what do you have faith in? Do you have more faith in what they can, you know, even if these people are against you, do you have faith that they can do more than I can do? And I said, well, God, no, no, I don't believe that. Well, then don't even look at them. Don't resent them. Don't be upset at them. Don't just 
Bless them. Bless and don't curse. Bless and don't curse. Bless and don't curse. That is the manifestation that you actually believe that you wrestle against flesh and not against flesh and blood. So do you believe that? Are you willing to bring yourself? But you know, because it's like all oh, these voices are pulling me aside. No, you. Oh, I'm sorry for even allowing the thought to even feel wonderful. Because I hate that thought. It's, it's wicked. It's darkness. I cannot allow myself to align with that. That's your first victory. Well, how come, how come people can do it on one level in one circumstance but not in the next one? Because the warfare is higher. I've seen people do extremely well on the level of their church and then suddenly come into national environments and suddenly do the very opposite to national leaders they're walking with. Why? Because it's you're walking into the hornet's nest. And if you haven't practiced immunity, if you know, and there's that atmosphere. If you can't turn the tide here, if that tide changes you, then you're changed. You align with it. So Saul has a choice here. But the power of that thing starts to erode because each time he's allowing, each time that atmosphere comes back, he agrees with it. So, you know, there's a diminishing returns. That anointing, that now is still available, you're actually actively choosing for the other atmosphere. So David's still coming, right, with his, with his song. And what happens next? What happens next? Later on, David comes and he starts singing. And what does Saul do? Picks up his spear and chucks it at him. So now that atmosphere that David's bringing, this thing is starting to get its clutches in Saul. And it's now so rooted that anointed other atmosphere, even when they're sitting side by side, and he has a choice to lean into the one versus the other, he can't do it anymore. He can't even do it anymore because he keeps choosing this other one. This is serious stuff because it will determine at what level we participate in the kingdom of God. It's not about going to heaven or hell. It's how useful can you be to establish my kingdom? That's the question being answered here. Do we understand that? But anyway, so this atmosphere is coming around. And then something happens in 1 Samuel 18, and you'll remember it quite uh, clearly. But uh, David's now, you know, he has a place with, uh, with Saul, and he's going out, and he's, he's over all the armies of Israel, right? It's great. But then all of a sudden, when they're coming in from one victorious battle where they slaughtered the Philistines, it says in verse 7 of eight, chapter 18, it says, So the women sang and they danced and said, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. Oh, man, what a hook. That thing hooks right into Saul's uh, insecurity, which has now become open fear. Then Saul was very angry Say And the saying displeased him, and he said, They ascribe to David ten thousands, and they ascribe only thousands to me. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Now, mindful, you know, the prophet's already told him, God is giving the kingdom to another man. Look at verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now we've moved, right, from the place where there's a general paranoia, general insecurity, agreement with an atmosphere. Now, now my eye, Saul, is set on an objective. You are between me and my destiny. What is that? That is a uh, solidifying of something up to this 
point was just an atmosphere. It was just the mist necessary. But now you have a seed and, and that mist coming together to form an objective. David is the one that needs to go. David is the one that is dangerous. David is the one. So, and I could talk about the evil eye, but anyway, so we have that. And of course then, right after that is when we see verse 11, what I'd said earlier, where is it? Uh, Verse 11, it says, uh, and it happened on the next day the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he prophesied in the house. So, who prophesied in the house? Saul. So anyway, we won't, we won't touch on any of that. So David played music with his hand as he had at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence. So now, now he's acting uh, out of that seed. Now he has an objective. He's turned his eye. He's determined that this man is standing between uh, me and my destiny, and he's actually starting to act on that. But then it goes a little bit further because it evolves from there. Now, that, that one there, right? Say, yeah, well, you know, I was really mad that day. I was really in a bad mood. I was in a bad way. So, yeah, but what he doesn't realize is this has been an escalation. The escalation has been now away from insecurity. He's made an objective. He's made a target. He's in the moment, in the fury of the moment, emotionally he was, you know, being goaded. That spirit was on him, and he. But afterwards, he thought, "Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I was just, you know, this thing, and and I was feeling this, and I'm sorry. I know that was wrong. I know it was wrong, right? So he's not justifying pinning him to the wall, but he's like, I know that's wrong. I, I shouldn't have done that. But he's still like he can't shake this. David can't stand the guy's name. Since they say his name, it annoys me. So what's the next escalation? Is in verse 17 of 18. This is what it says. And uh, there's actually, I'll I'll try not to read all of it, but uh, then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, here it is here, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Right? I really felt bad about throwing the spear, but I still want him dead. But, you know, hey, I'm not going to justify actually trying to kill him, because you know, that's ungodly. But, hey, if he falls in battle, yeah, you know, the sword takes some, not others, Right? What have we got now? Now we actually have a strategy to kill. We had an impulse, an emotional release, a, a bad moment that you could say, well, it's just a bad moment. Now you have another escalation. We have a strategy to see him die. Now it wasn't just an emotional, unfortunate, uh, regretful explosion of, yeah, you know, we could, we could justify, yeah, it was just, you know, everything lined up the wrong way. It wasn't me. I'm not like that. But now it's like become a solidified strategy. Can you see an escalation here? So after that, what happens next? Turn to 1 Samuel 19. Now during this time, of course, you know about Saul's relationship, I mean David's relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan loves him. Jonathan is an amazing 
young man. He, he loves God. So they're talking, and, and uh, they're talking about the fact that, you know, your dad's, your dad's against me. He's, he's trying to kill me. So well, listen, I'll talk to him. I will talk to him. So Jonathan goes, and, uh, and, and he speaks to him. And he starts talking about, you know, how, how, how what good things. In verse 5 it says, For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and you rejoice. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So now somebody's advocating, saying, listen, this direction you're taking, you're actually actively leaning into something. This is not good. And what, what happens here? Said, what does it say? It says, so Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Right? First chance of redemption. First chance. A voice of wisdom. The voice of wisdom comes in through Jonathan and comes to him and says, dude. <laughs> I could just hear Jonathan saying that. Dude. This is not right. This is not consistent with everything you say you're about. Can't you see that? Can't you see that? In that moment, it's a voice of wisdom. Now it's not just an anointing. It's these are, these are, and it's from Jonathan, his son whom he loves, right? So it's like, it's hard to, you know, I, I, you, you know, yeah, oh man. He was open to Jonathan in a way that that word slips in. That word slips in. He's like, you're right. This is ungodly. He won't be killed. But how long does that last? Yeah, we know the end of the story, right? It doesn't last very long. And just three verses later, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house, verse 9, with a spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, and he, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, so he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped in the night. So, okay, short-lived moment. There was an awakening. There was an acknowledgement. Well, I, 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 wanted, I want you to know I've been in so many scenarios like this where I've sat across with people who are against me. And I, I don't know why. I mean, and it's not that I'm, I'm perfect. I make lots of errors. But, but you know, to, when you actually start attacking your brother to destroy them, to accuse them, you know, there's a there's a sinister thing about it. It's like like, what's going on? Why why is it? Why are you saying this? Well, there's this, and then as we I've been in that situation where we as we talk about it. Well, actually, and I remember years ago this happened like early in our ministry, and I had all these accusations against me. I was teaching at at a college in South Edmonton, and there was a new pastor in, and he'd heard about this terrible guy who was teaching at the Bible school, and there was all these evil things he was doing evil kill him and so we went into this meeting and we're sitting there and there was some of the elders and the accusations are brought forth and they're just ah oh, it was about a, a book that wasn't written in properly a guest book and i mean you know it, it's like really so I, we're at the end of the meeting and these these accusations are coming up and they're just you know strung together they may look like something but you start actually looking at them one by one it's like Really? You're going to actually voice that out loud? That's embarrassing. That's not an accusation. Like, well, he didn't look at me right. I knew there was something in evil in his eye. And uh, the pastor says, uh, says, well, clearly there's nothing to these uh, accusations. 
And he looks at me and says, but where there's smoke, there's fire. Serious? What's that, an atmosphere? Already, already creating this thing. So he has his first chance at redemption. And, and uh, that passes. The moment passes because he's now he's habitually giving himself to an ideology, to a way of thinking. It's a dangerous way of thinking. And we know where it's going. You know, David comes back, sings again, and he tries to kill him again. Now, something else happens. Turn to, uh, I think it's 20. We need, to, we need to understand here, because in this chapter, Jonathan comes back. You know, he was the hero last time. He brought that wisdom of God, so he comes back. And he, he thinks, uh, my dad, you know, he's really not that bad of a guy. You know, the spirit is vexing him. There's stuff on this side. He's, you know, he's got trouble. You know, I'll just talk to him. I'll, I'll, I'll just talk to him. So, so David says, well, listen, I, I can't be there because it's too dangerous for me. Okay, well, you go, and they make this arrangement that I'm, we're, the feast time is coming, and you're supposed to be there, but you're not going to be there. And so uh, after a couple days in, Saul says, so uh, where's the son of David? Right? Where, where, where is uh, the son of Jesse? And he says, uh, he said, yeah, he had a problem at home. I sent him home. And all of a sudden, Saul is enraged. And Jonathan, uh-oh. So he begins to, to talk to his dad. He says, listen, I, I told him he could go. So then, verse 30, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan's like, "Uh uh-oh. Not even my glowing position as favored first son is able. Not not wisdom, it, it can't turn him. He has so given himself to this thing, I can't even. Now what you have is something political. By political, I mean now sides are having to be chosen. There's entrenched for and against now. And the entrenched for and against begins to escalate. So Jonathan, even the favored son, are you for this or are you against? We are beginning now. This is actually a furtherance of, you know, as Christians, we battle not against flesh and blood, right? But when there's a time when you decidedly say, I'm against this group of people, you've entered into this. We aren't against any kind of group of people. We cannot allow ourselves to be against any group of people. How can this happen? We're kingdom people. I've seen it again and again and again. Why? Because we're so terrible? No, we just don't understand the warfare. We don't understand the level of warfare. Same with Peter. You know, so faithful, right? So loyal guy. and I'll never forsake you. Yeah. Uh, you know, or before the cockroach three times, you're going to deny me? No. All these? Yeah, not me. He didn't understand what he was going into. He didn't understand principalities and powers. The whole earth had gathered together to slay Jesus. I mean, you're loyal, Peter. But this takes a level of practiced alignment with righteousness that you, can't, you will not be able to hold up under. You will flee in fear for your own life. We are called to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand. Our victory is immunity. Our victory 
to change an atmosphere. So that atmosphere comes, and we, I will not side with this. I will not side with this. I will not side with this. I remember a few years ago, I was caught up in something, and a bunch of guys I knew, really good guys, came up against somebody uh, viciously, and I had, I had actually grown a little disgruntled with this guy. And so I backed off from him. And then I began talking to some of my friends, and I felt this atmosphere in their voice. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I don't care what you think he's done. This is evil. This is evil. So I, I right away aligned with my friend. said, I'm sorry, I, I, I've been, you know, a little put off by you. But, okay, I see what's happening now. Now there's a line in the sand, and there's, there's a, a desire to kill you on this side, spiritually eviscerate you. I cannot side with that. I lo- what about those guys? Love them. Great guys. Quality guys. But this is a level of engagement we don't understand. It escalates here to the point where... Uh, so Jonathan's, you know, responding to this rage. And he says, uh, so Saul says in verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives, you know, you're not going to have your kingdom. And in verse 32, and Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and says, said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast his spear at him. Oh, wow. Even the advocate, you, you dare... He who, you know, he who speaks for this one is against me now. Now the entrenched politicization of the, the thing has gone to a whole other level. Now, I don't think we need to develop everything. But the rage, the blind, murderous rage continues that anybody seemingly to associate with David is anathema. The priests who gave him some showbread, you know, they they go and they kill the whole city of priests, their wives, their children, everything. How could this happen? How could the man whom the Spirit of God fell on and began to prophesy, and it says he was turned into another man, get to this place. How can Christians who are born again, how can this happen? I sat in that guy's Sunday school class. He preached to me about this and that and the other thing, and now what, he's, he's doing what? How can that happen? Now, what's the answer? Humility. You don't know what you're up against. You know, when the disciples said, we want to rule at the topest, le- you know, the greatest level of the kingdom, your right hand, your left hand. And, and Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that, that I'm drinking? In other words, can you be tested with the kind of test? And can you stand in that day? Yes. <laughs> no. Right, because they, they ran at the first, first sighting, right? You know, they all ran and hid. But eventually, they, they regretted that. But they, see, the fact that you fail in one moment doesn't mean you have to keep failing. 
But once they, you know, they regretted, they, 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 uh, they repented, they wept and everything. And I mean, Peter was so repentant. He said, that's it. Uh, my days in the ministry are done. He, go, he went back to fishing. And Jesus came back to him and said, listen, it's not over for you. It's not over for you. Yeah, you failed the test, but you, you needed to because you were so arrogant. You thought your loyalty was going to get you through this. Your loyalty, Peter, can't get you through this. This is an atmosphere. This is principalities and powers. This is murderous rage that comes on a geographic area. Well, God is saying, listen... It's great to talk about your kingdom come. It's great to want to worship. It's great to want to say, Lord, we want your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But can you be that guy that stands, that, that, that has that alignment with heaven, that even though you're swirling around you, this murderous, evil, fearful, attacking lunacy, and you are unmoved by it. It's not very romantic, actually. It's, it's fairly straightforward or fairly simple. Where's your mind going? Where's your heart going? Are you cursing the people of God? Are you trying to pull the people of God down? Are you honoring the gifts of God? When you look around the body, when you see, are you honoring that gift? Are you honoring the one to your left and the one to your right, or is have you, has the enemy succeeded in casting a shadow over them and now suddenly you don't even want to talk to them anymore? You can't hardly be around them anymore? What evil have they done? See, the same wisdom that was coming to Saul is coming to us. What evil? What evil? If there is evil, let's talk about it. And even David said that to Jonathan. Listen, if, I, if I've done something, tell me. You could kill me. But if there's nothing, is there really evil here? God is saying, listen, I'm, I'm raising up a people who are immune to those atmospheres. But it's because they'll have been tested against the lion and the bear and against the Goliath. And they're going to be tested in, 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 the, uh, in the caves of Abdullam where David was tested. Now, he had two more opportunities after this for redemption. Two more opportunities where where Saul could have turned around, right? Because he began to believe, no, he's the same as me. He's the same. If he had a chance, he'd be taking my head off, I guarantee you. That's what he believed. That's, that's how that darkness goes. But there he's in the cave, right? And David's hiding in the cave. He comes and he cuts off a part of his garment. And as he goes out, I said, look at Saul. He says, is this the voice of my son, David? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Hate to be your enemy. He says, forgive me, I'm wrong. I won't seek your life anymore. David says, finally it's gone. Now it's clear. I could have killed him. I couldn't. We're clear. We're good. But it's not about facts. It's about an atmosphere, a spirit, a paranoia. So the next thing you know, he's out there getting them again. What do they do? They sneak into the camp, and they take the spear and the bottle that's next to you know, Abner's there should be guarding the king. And, and David stands on the hill. Abner, you should be killed for the fact that you didn't protect uh, the Lord, your master. But I came in there and I could have slain him. And, and again, Saul's like, David, my son, I'm sorry. I, I won't seek to kill you anymore. Listen, we're told 
to bless those who curse us. Bless those who curse us. We can't hardly bless those who bless us. If we're called to bless those who curse us, what excuse do we have to curse those who are trying to bless us? None. How can you justify that as a New Testament Christian? We can't. And this is the, this is the discipleship of the disciples. When they, they, when they wanted to curse, Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. This is not what we're doing. God is recruiting right now around the earth, an army, a people who when those atmospheres come in, they've been tested. They're going to stand against the atmosphere. They're going to say, no, I will love. I will not believe the paranoia. I will not believe the insecurity. I will not believe. I'm going to stand in that, that vortex of swirling murderous rage is not going to catch me up into it. That's how you bring the kingdom of God. Not only that, what did David do? Saul was trying to kill him. And not only did he not kill him, but he rebukes Abner for not protecting him. That's honor. Was Saul worthy? It's beside the point. Beside the point. He was the anointed king. Saul honored, I mean, David honored Saul to his death and even after. Not because Saul's character was perfect, but David went to the other degree. And this is what we're called to do. Bless those who curse us. I'm telling you, if you want to be involved in the kingdom of God, and, and, and we are going somewhere, but we need to know what this is about. We need to know what the pruning process is. We need to know what the testing is about. So it starts with the people closest to you. Can you not curse your, your wife, your, your sister, your, your kids, your parents? Can you not make it about them? Can you, can you arrest that overflow of wickedness, James says, that's trying to come out, you know, and rail about this one and that one and the other one? Can you arrest that? Good, okay, you've done well. Now, can you bless the people of God in your local assembly? Can you start blessing your neighbors? Can you, and, and God is, there's an acceleration of righteousness in the same way there was an acceleration of darkness in the life of Saul. And you choose which path you're on. Yeah, but this person really annoys me. You're justifying a spirit of murder. This is what you have to think. Is that really the way you want to go? Early in our marriage, Wendy occasionally made me mad. She didn't, but women, she, didn't, she can't make me mad. She revealed my need to be served on a level nobody else did which manifested in rage or anger. But I remember, you know, when, I, when that atmosphere was trying to look at something to divide her from me, and I just, I saw the Holy Spirit said, okay, that pathway you're, you're, you're nurturing right now in self-pity, that pathway, you know where that goes? Divorce. Is that where you want to go? No. Well, get off that path. Get off that path. Do you want to hate your brother? Do you want to divide this church? Do you want to create schisms in our community? Decide which path you're on. Decide which path you're on. Decide which path you're on. It's very simple. But very hard. The response that we bring right now, it's so clear, right? 
what our options are before us today so clear? It's, it's when it's not so clear that you have to make the right choice. You have to decide against going away from the tide of emotions. and Yeah, but I feel misunderstood. But I feel neglected. But I feel this. But I am afraid. But I... Uh, all of those things should be, it should be self-evident. They're not what you want to side with. We've answered your call. We've answered the call to say, Lord, we, we not only want to be saved... But we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we have prayed in such a way that we have said we want to be a part of the highest expressions of this. Lord, we want to respond to that call. And God is saying, respond in the trenches. And we're going to say today, okay, God, I want to change this. I want to change my responses. I want to change how I'm feeling about this and this section and what I'm, what I'm nurturing in those moments of darkness when that atmosphere comes up. I want to change that. Decide right now and then prove that decision later this week and next week and the week after. The primary backdrop to staying free is some elementary principles of the kingdom of God. And it says in the New Testament, it says, a man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from God. See, this is what David understood. He said, even though Saul's seeking my life, He wrote in Psalms, God takes one down and puts another up. I don't have to take Saul down. I will not be part of taking Saul down. I will honor the gifts in the body because I believe fundamentally that God can take a man down if he needs to. And how dare I decide to build a case against the man that God has not taken down. That's what saved David from participating in murder. Simple honor. I remember Chris Valentin said something about a couple of years ago. It was on Facebook, and he said, people come in, and they decide something is going their way, and they don't, you know, it doesn't, a decision is made that's against what they want. So they decide it's wrong, and from that point, they begin to build a case. If God is the just judge of all, we don't have to build a case. We don't have to take anybody down. Just stand in honor and in righteousness and in the right things, guarding your heart, and the kingdom will come. And David did that for one reason. He always hoped... He always hoped that the righteousness that he stood in would affect Saul and that Saul would be reconciled. What an amazing display of faith and honor. If we could only do that. Father, I pray that we could be those people who guard your word, who say... Lord, you build your church. You build your church the way you intend to build it. And I'll play my part. 
I'll bring that color of the rainbow that is me. I'll be that, that particular shade of color that makes up a part of the whole. But I won't decide for everyone else that you have to be blue because I'm blue. You have to be green because I'm green. You have to be yellow because I'm yellow. Lord, we want the full spectrum of the colors of the rainbow. We want the full spectrum of the promise of God. We want what you said you would do and nothing less. And this is what we're standing for. So we accept the journey, not as being a journey that men are bringing us into, but one that you are fashioning us for as you empower us to stand. And we bless those who stand, who continue to stand. And Lord, whether it's a whether it's one that has uh, fallen and come back or one that's been here all along or ones that are standing elsewhere, Lord, we bless them all. We bless them all. We bless them all. We bless them all. So let's make it our practice going from here to bless, to bless realizing there's no excuse for thinking badly of somebody. Amen? All right. Father, as we go today, may your light shine upon us. May the path of our, of our lives get brighter and brighter to the full day. We say, Lord, your kingdom come.